What's going on everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. I collect sports cards. And if you're listening to this damn podcast, I bet you do too. Welcome. Let's get this party started. Really excited about this conversation. I heard a nugget in my chat with Pac Nicholson about a card that was picked up at the National. I'm listening and then I see it on the Instagram machine and I say, I got to get some more insight and information about this card and the collection. And that's what we're doing today. I think it's one of the best football cards I've seen in a while. And I'm bringing the collector on who owns it. And we're talking about the 98 Skybox EX 2001 Essential Credential Future out of six Randy Moss rookie card. God, that's a good card. I got my man Mikey in the hobby to talk about that card, how he got it, talk about his Moss collecting and collecting in general. You're going to enjoy this conversation. I promise you, this is what I'm doing. I'm curating collectors that matter and have stories to tell. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the freaking buttons, but you know the drill. Most importantly, tell a damn friend you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. I'm excited about this one. I think sometimes you hear about cards and you think they're unicorns, and then you actually hear stories of those cards being picked up, and then you can talk to the collector about said card. So I mentioned in the opening, but we're going to talk about some badass Randy Moss cards and probably some other stuff. But uh, without further ado, I am joined by Mikey in the hobby. Mikey, welcome. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Brett. Yeah. So um, maybe we start here. Like, we, I think it'd be a good place to jump off. We were like, that we have a lot of like kind of common threads just based on our career pathing and just like grew up kind of in a similar area. And before we hit record, we were talking about a lot of just like career stuff, but also like the importance of cards as an escape and just like our time with cards um is like valued and important and i know like maybe in your current role so if you want to maybe talk a little bit about that like there's maybe an intersection of passion and professional life but maybe talk a little bit about that like how you view your collection and time spent with the collection and just like the escape it is for you when you're trying to break free a little bit from life stresses i think the best way to explain it would be the fact that For the last five years, I've probably spent 50 hours a week dedicated to the hobby. And that's just like a spitball number because the reality is probably more. Uh, I'm like what I like to refer to as an eBay degenerate because (laughs) I might hit like the Randy Moss recent search on my eBay app 80 times a day. (laughs) I, I honestly don't know. And so it's an escape for me for sure. Um, but it's one I spent a lot of time in, but it still continues to have rewards. And then I doubled down a year ago and switched my job to work for collectors and PSA, which just means I can't get enough of it because now my job uh, is in the hobby and I love it. Uh, yeah. And I, it's amazing. And I, I love the fact that you're like, you work in a marketing role and a growth role. And that's something like I can relate with. I want to maybe before uh, Moss is going to take up probably a majority of our conversation, but I want (laughs) to hit on maybe some of your ancillary PCs as well. Um, I dude, I was looking at your page and like, I'm not sure I've seen a better Victor Oladipo PC. So maybe talk a little bit about just like your connection with Oladipo and just like your pursuit of his cards. 
Yeah, I think my connection with Oladipo goes all the way back to when he joined the Hoosiers at Indiana University when I was going to school there. And I couldn't have been a bigger IU basketball fan my whole childhood. And then into college, that's the time to really reap the benefits of it because you can go to the games and be close to the players and things like that. And Oladipo was always electric. But then when he got drafted and he was a really promising uh, new star in the NBA, that ramped it up even more. But man, when he came to the Pacers and came back home to Indiana, those two and a half years were my favorite time in the NBA, probably since Reggie in the 90s. The the uh, the Cavs series, uh, when they shouldn't have been even competing and took them to seven. Yeah. And- you know, I you, a lot of us, especially Pacers fans in Indy, like there's maybe a little bit of bad blood, kind of similar bad blood that happened with Paul George. But I'm, I will tell you, like I'm ready for that, which I feel like I'm getting on with Paul George a little bit. Like I'm ready to hit that stride of like the nostalgia and enjoy what Oladipo did while he was here because there was some magic things, and all you need to do is go check the highlights. Well, I have a recommendation for you. When you get some free time, hop onto YouTube and just watch one of his highlight reels. I put it on for my friends all the time. And it really shows you like how special he was. Obviously, it's five years removed. He's had a three broken knees in the meantime, but yeah. he was fun to watch. He was electric, especially when he was doing it in uh, my hometown. So I'm looking at uh, your page and I see the uh, 2013 uh, Black Mosaic rookie prism one of one and a PSA nine. Obviously, like if you're a Oladipo collector, that's a pretty massive card. Maybe talk a little bit about that card and some of the other Oladipo uh, cards in your collection that stand out to you. So we could probably do a whole episode on that card because it's one of the most recently acquired in my Oladipo collection, but one that I'd been searching for for almost 10 years since he got drafted. And before acquiring it, I basically had every Oladipo rookie card there was. So I had technically completed his whole rookie rainbow with the exception of that card. I was the alternate fill in for that card was his black one of one auto. Um, And I just kind of had decided I was never going to find that card. I had spent tens of hours on worth point over the years, trying to see if there was any trace of it, if it had ever been sold in the past and there was no trace of it. Uh, until a few months ago, somebody sent me a story of somebody at a card show who had taken a picture of it and put it on their story. And it was a collector from Australia. And the story was only up for 24 hours. Somebody sent it to me. And, uh, luckily that collector who posted it knew the person who owned it. We did a negotiation. I was able to acquire the card and then it came all the way from down under. Um, it was a BGS nine five. And so I crossed it over to PSA, um, but it was pack pulled from a 2013 Prism Jumbo Hobby box all the way back in the first few months of the release 10 years ago. That's an incredible story. I love when cards end up in the places where they should. Maybe talk a little bit about like Oladipo. I I would imagine, and I could be wrong, but I would imagine like his uh, collector network isn't like super significant. So maybe talk a little bit about like the ability for you as an individual who like lived and saw this guy play in Bloomington, carried that fandom over to being a Pacers fan, like having this ability to be like, you know what? Like, I love this guy. Like 
I can go out there and build the best Oladipo collection in the world. Talk a little bit about that. You know, I think it's a double-edged sword because since there's not a community of people that I can share this collection with or help me to track down leads on pieces that I'm trying to find, it can make it a little bit lonelier than perhaps if you were collecting Ken Griffey Jr. or Michael Jordan. But the flip side of that is that all of the pleasure I get from it is just owning the cards. Like I know if I put an Oladipo card that I love on Instagram, like it's not going to get hundreds of likes. And so I think from that aspect, I like just being able to acquire them and keep them in my box. I don't even post them all on Instagram. Um, I have 31 Oladipo 101s. And so I think I have like three on my page, but I've got them in a box right next to me. And I love to just pull them out and think about, you know, all the times that I had fun watching them play. That's incredible. Uh, let's um, maybe pivot to the topic of conversation and that's Randy Moss. Um, so I, I got the chance last week to watch uh, Paul Wardle combats showcase of Randy Moss collectors. And I watched a majority of it. And then I got a chance to watch the rest of it this weekend. And like my big takeaway was like, saw like the best Randy Moss collections in the world, which is so fun for a player like Randy Moss maybe talk a little bit about like that community and network. Cause it's like, it seemed like there, there was a like cheers. It was like the cheers of like Randy Moss collectors. Like everyone knew each other. I'm assuming you all traded DMS all the time. Um, but maybe talk a little bit about that group. Yeah, I think it's definitely evolved. Um, I can remember a few years ago when I really focused on my Randy Moss collection and trying to build it up the only place that I could find other people that collected Randy Moss were on blowout forums from eight years ago or something like that, you know? And so, and then the ones that I would find when I would get connected to them, they weren't really documenting their collection. A lot of the photos I got of some of the most coveted cards look like they were shot on a potato phone. Um, but it wasn't until the last couple of years getting more connected with people on social media and the hobby that we've formed this little Moss collectors group and all of the guys um, are amazing. And it's great now because I have so much knowledge and experience of collecting Moss for the past five years that some of these other guys in the group who have just started doing it over the last couple of years, um, I can be like a help to them. And so sometimes they'll send me a card that I've owned in the past, or I know who owns it and I can kind of give them some of the provenance of the card, which is always important when trying to obtain something that's expensive. But the best part is before I ever share anything that I picked up, you better believe that I'm going to be sending it to them and being able to kind of do a little mini celebration before I share it out with anybody else. When did you decide like, Randy Moss, like that's my guy. Like, what's your connection back to him? Uh, so, when I was 10 years old, um, I just started playing football, and my uncle and I sat down on the couch to watch football. And I think we watched a little bit of the Lions game, like you do. And then we ate something a little early, and then we flipped on Fox to find the Cowboys and the Vikings playing. And by the end of the first quarter, I was a certified Randy Moss freak <laughs> fan. But by the end of the game, all it took was him catching three balls for 163 yards and three touchdowns for it just to be over for me. Uh, he was my favorite athlete. I had been looking for one because I was a pretty big Michael Jordan fan growing up and he had just retired. 
And it was just the perfect slot for Randy. So I've been obsessed with him my whole entire life. And uh, when I got back into the hobby in 2018, I was, the first thing I did was buy Randy Moss cards. But I also had this weird theory in my head that like part of the vehicle of the hobby for some of us is like the um, value part of it. And I had convinced myself that players that weren't playing anymore, like couldn't go up in value. So I didn't want to like spend too much money on a collection that just like was for me. That all changed pretty quickly, but it was interesting at the beginning. Do you remember that moment? That's, I mean, that's such a significant hurdle that like, I feel like it's the evolution and it's the turn. And when we finally get to that point where we start collecting for ourselves and not based on per- perceived value is, is <laughs> yeah. when we are stuck in the hobby forever. Do you remember, like, remember that, like when that moment or when that turn was for you? Yeah, I think for me, um, it just kind of happened. I think it was when I really started to um, care less about it. And then I liked instead of buying the cards that I thought were going to go up in value. And that's a mantra that I've had for my entire hobby journey. And it's one that's worked out really well for me. Um, Basically, the only time I sell cards or trade cards is in order to acquire more cards. And with that philosophy, those two things, um, it just clicks. And about the uh, essential credentials future that you picked up, which is just a ridiculous card but before you we mean do this that, one <laughs> so i'm uh, for everyone listening i'm just uh mikey's got a backdrop of just like randy moss uh as they say in the hobby fire you know well it's this is like i'm looking at the best randy moss cards ever which is all i like cool. to call them the infinity stones breath <laughs> infinity stones that's exactly right so maybe talk a little bit about like, you don't just get that card overnight. Like there's a process, you're building your collection. Maybe talk a little bit about like the history and like what you've went through and like your approach and what cards you've needed and how you've gone about your business before we get to the big boy. Yeah, I think for me, no matter what we're talking about as far as a player and my personal collection, there's always like an angle to it for me. So I'd been collecting Kobe Bryant for the last couple of years, but I specifically only collect his insert cards. I had none of his base set parallels or anything like that. And that was just kind of like my niche for Kobe collecting. And with Moss over the years, I've had a lot of different ones. Um, I went on a spree for like two years where I was exclusively trying to find his most rare uh, on-card autographs from his early playing days, which was super fun. But recently it's it's about consolidation and it's about acquiring the cards that I'm going to want to keep for the next 50 years and the ones that I know if I keep them, like nobody else has them. And so I've been able to acquire some of his best cards over the years, but the credentials future out of six being a single digit credentials from 98, um, it just didn't, never seemed possible. I knew a couple collectors that had one, uh, but they were not moving them. And so I just kind of resigned myself to thinking I was never going to get the card. Before we jump into that, maybe can you run through just so the listeners know, like some of the cards that I'm staring at you and looking at and like talk through maybe like the significance, like why you think these cards are important or why throughout this consolidation phase, these are still standing tall. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll start in order. The first one is his rookie Bowman's Best Atomic Refractor. Um, when I was nine years old and I went into the card shop in downtown Noblesville, Indiana, and I had realized that I had this affinity for Randy Moss, I can remember seeing the base version of that Bowman's Best card in the showcase. And it was one of those situations where I looked at my mom and I just said, like, please, can I get it? And I think it had like a $25 price tag on it. And she bought it for me. I still have it today. So when I got back into the hobby and I started to do the research on the rare cards and the ones that were scarce, and I figured out that there was this parallel version of the Atomic Refractor out of 100 uh, that looks the way it does. Um, That was one that I searched for for a long time until I acquired it. The next one is his rookie platinum medallion out of uh, FLIR Ultra Series 2. Um, just a beautiful card in hand wearing his pro jersey. It's just a special one to me. That specific copy I own is also serial numbered out of 66 and it's 66 of 66, which is like the bookend. But yeah, going down the row, the the precious metal gems, I've got both his rookie version and his martial uniform, which I talked about on Wordle's uh, Instagram live that we did, but a really cool thing about that card is Moss is catching a ball over his shoulder and there's a defensive back diving for him. And it turns out that uh, that's a Ball State defensive back from Muncie, no Indiana. Wow. And uh, I was born at Ball Memorial Hospital in Muncie, Indiana. So there's a little bit of a tie in there. And then, yeah, the credentials now out of 55, that's kind of the credentials rookie card for Moss that you would like be able to acquire potentially and be happy with. Um, and it's a beautiful card. I've owned two copies of it and I love it, but my favorite of all of them before acquiring the futures has always been the 24 karat gold. I've owned two copies of that card as well. And, uh, Jesse at flippity flip cards owns the old copy that I had, but that's one that I looked for, for four years. And, uh, the copy that Jesse owns popped up on eBay it was a snap, buy it now. I didn't even open the listing. I don't think I didn't look at the item description or anything. I just bought it. And then three weeks later, a raw copy came up on eBay and I bought that one too. <laughs> and so uh, I love that card. It's serial numbered out of 24. They only made clear brilliance for one year across all the sports. Um, and to me, it's just like the most aesthetically beautiful with the gold refractor, the gold foil and the logo in the top corner. And then a lot of Randy Moss's rookie cards, he's in his preseason jersey, number 18. And this is one of the few rookie cards uh, where he's sporting the 84 from his rookie season, which is super special to me. So what's fun about just like walking, you walking through these cards and is just being a Peyton Manning guy, like these are like the Peyton Manning cards like these, but seeing them in Randy Moss form, which is fun. And then, you also you've got Woodson too, and it's just like that. And the night the ninety eight draft class, along with like the cards that you know precede them, are just it's it's very very special. And like I don't know, watching you walk through those cards, it like really struck me that that that's an important era for football cards. It is for sure because obviously there's great sets in ninety seven, and sure I wish there was like a green PMG Randy Moss, but having his rookies be in ninety eight. And then his second year cards being in 99, which I would argue is like the coolest year of sports card or football cards 
is awesome because I love to collect all of those. And I think one thing, a lot of people do this, but one thing I've always thought was cool about my collection in totality is that it spans all the way to modern day and some of the recent prism sets. And so I, I like to have a little bit of my favorite cards from each year over the course of his playing years. And then just a couple sprinkled in from his pl- post playing years. Up the big guy uh, sitting at the head of the table. Uh, I want to know everything. I want to know when you knew this card could be potentially something you could acquire. And then all the steps and things that you went through in order to bring this one into your PC. Yeah. So I think it starts back probably three years ago. And this is where I just like first had a knowledge of this card. I had found an old blowout post from a Moss collector uh, in 2016. And he had an amazing collection, hundreds and hundreds of rare and scarce Randy Moss cards. And he was starting to liquidate them. And so I was reading this post like two years later and he turned me on to the person that I believe to be the best Randy Moss collector. Doesn't share his collection publicly, but he does have a Flickr account where you can see it all. And I was scrolling through there and that's when I saw the credentials future out of six for the first time in his collection. So that was like the first light bulb moment, like, oh, wow, that would be fun to get. And then it was like, oh, now I've got to go find one. And it was probably about a year or so later where I saw one on Instagram and it was owned by this collector who's local to Houston uh, here with me. So I started a dialogue with him. And at this point, like the most I'd ever spent on a card was probably like $2,000 or something like that. And I had no idea what it was worth, even with all of the knowledge I have about Randy Moss and collecting him because it's just a different stratosphere of card. So he started to educate me on what a card of that importance could be worth independent of the player, right? Like basically the way it goes with sets like credentials and precious metal gems is that sure, the player is going to have some factor in, in the value of the card. But at a certain point, if they're like a memorable Hall of Fame player from one of those sets, that's where the market starts. And that's how you start to determine how much that card is valued at for that. Um, and so I think it was like six months later, it would have been the Chicago national in 2021. And, uh, the person who owned it gave me an opportunity to get it. It wasn't having to do cartwheels, um, or flips to get it. It was just that I had to pay $35,000 and, uh, do it on a payment plan, which was nice. And so I spent that whole national trying to decide if I was going to do it. And ultimately I shuffled my feet and said I was going to pass. Within six hours, he traded the card um, to a dealer at the national. And it was a dealer who really wasn't going to be flipping it because they have a very successful business. One of the most prominent consigners on eBay, one of the biggest group submitters for PSA. And it was one of the co- Uh, owners of PC sports cards. So I knew where the card was still, but I couldn't have it. uh, Talk a little bit about like the, you knew where it was at. Like we get obsessed with cards. We get obsessed with looking for cards that we don't know where they're at, but maybe sometimes, which isn't, I feel like it's, it's more of a rare case that we get obsessed with a card that we know where it's at, but it's, such a significant price 
that it's going to cause us to completely destroy, maybe not destroy, let's just say shake our collection around in order to make that happen. So talk a little bit about that moment from like knowing you know where it's at to kind of the delay to where we are today. Like what types of things went through your head? Like, were you always thinking about maneuvering? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, it hasn't crossed my mind since we started this conversation, but the best way I can equate passing on that card and having to deal with the fallout of that over the last two years is probably if the night I met my wife, if I wouldn't have had the nerve to go up to her and introduce myself, if I would have just let that one go, that's how I would have felt forever. And I think about that in relation to my wife a lot. And it happened with that card. (laughs) And then to kick it, it'd be like if she married one of my friends because I knew where the card was, right? PC Sports Cards does a live on Instagram every week from their office and it was sitting behind him. Oh, (laughs) And so, you know, obviously after that happened, I wanted it more. And so basically for the last two years, every two months, I would send them a message, either checking in on the card, maybe throwing like a pretty fair offer. And uh, of the dozen messages I sent, I think they responded to two of them. Um, So... It just didn't seem possible for me. Do you know going into Chicago National this year that you're going to get this card? What communication took place? Let us in inside on that. Yeah. Luckily, I've opened the door because there was no communication. Um, Leading up to the National, I knew they were going to be there. And so that was going to be my opportunity to start the dialogue and potentially work out something. And so I sent another message. I said, I hope you're bringing it to the national. They didn't respond, but they left me on red and that was it. And so I get to (laughs) Chicago this year and uh, I'm there for the show. You know, I'm excited. I always like when I'm going to a big show like that, where I I don't have some master plan in mind. Um, I've been to nationals or big card shows in the past where I have this stack of cards that like I need to sell to fund something that I've already purchased or plan to purchase. And this show was just about me enjoying it. I was there as an attendee, but was able to like stop at the PSA booth and interact with all my coworkers. Um, but once the show started going on Wednesday, I knew I had to go check and see if the card was there. So I walk over to the PC sports cards booth, they're still putting cards in their cases um, because they had just showed up. And I'm looking at a few of them that have cards in there. And under this two row box that's sitting on top of a case was the credentials feature sitting there. And that's when uh, the real discussion started. So uh, we started talking about the card at like 5 p.m. on Wednesday. And We didn't get the deal done until the next day at like 2 p.m. But basically, I think the best way to sum it up is that they knew how much I wanted it and they weren't going to make it easy for me. I know it sucks, but shouldn't that be how it is, though? You make you really work for it. At a Um, certain point in this negotiation, Brett, um, we were getting close. But Zach, who I was doing the deal with, told me, he's like, you're a really bad negotiator. And I was like, you know, that's funny because I grew up in a family of car salesmen, literally everyone in my family. And uh, my friends would describe me as like pretty dry and direct and like even mean at times. And the reason you're seeing me 
be a bad negotiator and act like a child is because when I'm collecting cards or I'm excited about something uh, for my collection, I am a child. I go back to being 10 year old Mikey. And so that didn't serve me well in the negotiations, but I just thought that was interesting that he said that. I know there was a lot of trade in there. Was it cash and trade or just trade? Yeah. So that was a weird thing. Like ultimately to acquire the card, it required me to acquire the card. It required me to give up 38 cards from my like very pure uh, curated collection. But because they were giving me such a hard time in the negotiations on the first day, and we had agreed on this like value, which was like $50,000. I was like, well, I <laughs> see the way my checking account works is like I didn't bring $50,000. <laughs> and they weren't being super transparent with me in the negotiations. So the next day, overnight, I decided I need to go get liquid and come back here with at least some cash and, you know, potentially enter trade, uh, entertain other cards for trade. So I went and I sold a good chunk of cards. I got some cash. And so I come back to the table. I've got $16,000. Let, let me stop. Let me stop you there. Cause I'm curious, like we're in this position, maybe not with a card this significant, but a lot of us, when we go to these shows need to go get liquid because we just, we need cash to go get a, a deal done, but we don't know how. So maybe talk about like, what was, how did you do that? That's a, yeah. I think this is actually a really good topic because there's a lot of different ways you could do it. And some are better than others. Um, I was able to leverage kind of some of my network in the hobby. So I went to somebody at the show that I know personally I've done deals with in the past and I knew would have cash. It doesn't mean that I didn't get 75 to 80% value for the things that I sold them. Of course. But at least we were able to have like a civil negotiation where like I felt comfortable giving up these cards to this person. And, you know, I knew that they could pay me. And so I think that that worked out really well for me. But some other things that I entertained is there are people that have services today where you just kind of give them cards and they're going to sell them, but then they like, give you cash up front and all this stuff. And I, I was considering that, but I was also like a little weary of doing that. And so ultimately I got the cash and went back to the table, but, um, first step in the negotiation where I was starting to like feel the pain a little bit. And I was like, wow, I just gave away like really scarce cards that like do have a market value, but like shouldn't be sold for 75 to 80% value because like these cards haven't sold in two or three years. And like, you're not going to go find one on the show floor, but I need the money, uh, which was tough to do. I don't want to pick at old wounds here, but I feel like this is important because like everyone needs to know that like, if you, we all want these badass grails and a lot of times they seem out of reach, but in order for us to get them, like the cards in our case that we say we're never going to have to sell, we have to sell in order to make that happen. So I don't know, maybe like like a free-for-all in your collection. Obviously, you still have amazing, you talk about your Oladipo shoebox of one-of-ones and you got amazing Moss cards. Like, how did you evaluate what was up for sale during that process? Yeah, so I brought like 120 cards with me to the show. I have a Pelican case um, that I roll around and everything in there was up for grabs for this card. Um, mm -hmm. But for any other card, there, there's probably like 20% of that case that even was on the table for any negotiations at the show. 
once it was for the credentials future, it opened that up with the exception really being the cards behind me, my like seven to 10 best Randy Moss cards. And I was hopeful that I could do it by sparing some of my like favorite Kobe Bryant cards that I had collected. Uh, and that ultimately didn't turn out to happen, but is what got me um, over the finish line to get the card because like final deal was 20 cards and $16,000. The 20 cards that I traded to Zach cards and they had more value or the same value, he wouldn't have done the deal. But those 20 cards were important enough that it made sense for him to shed a card like the credentials out of six. So after you get this deal done and the future Moss is in your possession, like what sort of thoughts are like, what's going on in your head? Like, how are you feeling? Is, are you excited? Are you regretful? Or are you just like, talk a little bit about your emotional state? I'm ecstatic, but I get holder. <laughs> and it was graded like 10 years ago. So like I had a crack in the holder. It had scuffs on it. And I'm at the national. I work for PSA and I'm like, <laughs> I have to get this in a PSA holder. It was my first priority. And so I would run over to the booth and I wait in line. And I'm looking at the card, knowing that I'm about to hand it over uh, after acquiring it and all the all of this. And so I turn it in. Also, because I just like traded away so much value in my collection, <laughs> I wanted to make sure to submit it at the right surface level. And so I had to pay two thousand dollars to grade it because I, I put a five fifty thousand dollar declared value on it. And then I had to wait for like five hours for it to be graded not knowing, you know, it was a Beckett 8.5 before. The grade didn't really matter to me, but like, I'm just going to tell you, if it came back like a five, I wouldn't have been happy. So the real moment when it hit me, I think, is actually I saw it first when I got the notification on the mobile app and I did the grade reveal and uh, it got a PSA 7, which generally I would be sad about, but my credentials matching pair the now version out of 55 is also a PSA seven and I like uniformity. Mm -hmm. And so I was okay with it. What a company guy. You get the car to your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> you immediately go yeah. get it outfitted. It makes sense, man. Just incredible story. Incredible card. Um, maybe we close out with this. I I'm curious just on your end, what is your biggest learning from this experience and that you think like, I don't know. I, I definitely like there are grails that I see that uh, hearing stuff like this, it's motivating to just like go make the leap. But I'm curious, like, what have you learned just as a collector from going through this experience that you share with others? I think knowledge is like the most important thing I gained through the process. Um, because even though I had a shot to buy the card a couple of years ago for a price, I've learned so much more collecting without that card since then. And it's allowed me to get the cards that I ultimately traded for it. So I got to enjoy those cards for a little bit, learn through the hunt of finding those cards over the years, and then, you know, ultimately trading them. But I, I traded them because of like persistence and network, all the research and the hours that I put in to find the card and try to talk to people about getting it ultimately is what landed me the deal. That card wasn't being sold to anybody else. Zach at PC Sports Cards, even though he's been giving me a hard time from the first time I reached out to him to the second we shook hands on the card, 
he told me, he said, nobody else was getting this card at the show. I brought it here for you. And so that was all just because of persistence and network and, you know, creating a community like we do here in our crazy hobby. These incredible cards, Mikey, it was so much fun to talk with you, learn from you, hear the passion and uh, thank you for sharing that story. When when I saw that thing hit my Instagram feed, I was just like, is that for real? So it's been an honor to chat with you and hear a little bit about how it ended up in your PC. Oh, thank you, Brett. I appreciate you having me. I hope we can chat again soon. I'm just blown away by the passion, love digging in on cool ass cards, cool ass collections. And that's what Mikey in the hobby brought to you today. Go give the man a follow. Give him a shout. Tell him you heard him share the story. And thank you so much for tuning in to Stacking Slabs. We're going to have more content. We never stop. We do it for you, the collector. So you take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back soon. Peace.